Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, an audio masterclass on how to move the needle on your performance and impact as an athlete, parent, or coach. Here's your host, Coach Cahill. Uh, Coach, how did coaching find you? So I had a very uh, below average athletic career. Um, I was a high school backup quarterback. I, uh, I walked on at an NAI school. I, I didn't want to quite give up the dream of playing. And I knew I wanted to get into education. I knew I wanted to be around kids. Um, both my parents are public servants. So I knew I wanted to do something where you can make an impact. And I got really lucky. I was a very average scout team quarterback, but I got to know our defensive coordinator really well. Got to learn kind of the ins and outs of the game. And just talking to him, it was like, you can get paid to do this. Like you can get paid to be around football. He's like, yeah, it's actually kind of a fun job. And I'm like, I'm just going to do this. So that's kind of how, that's kind of how it started. It's the best of both worlds. You get to be around a game that you love and you get to use it as a way to make impacts with kids. And I think we forget that, you know, I mean, it helps to have played at a high level if you're a coach, but not always like Belichick did not play college football. Um, you know what I mean? Like most actually quite a few coaches didn't even play college football. Um, and I, it's funny cause I've actually seen at some camps, like you have pro guys come who don't necessarily know how to coach what they do, even though they do it at a very high level. Sure. Absolutely. And I think it's the flip side because there's a lot of guys similar to me who were small school guys or, you know, still always kind of chasing that, that, uh, I guess playing career fulfillment, if you will. And, uh, I can't tell you how to run a four, four, 40. I can kind of show you, but trust me, I'm not going to show you by any means. <laughs> So for sure. Yeah. And so, um, you, you coach high school. Um, what do you think is the biggest issue facing high school football in the U S today? That's a great question. I think the, one of the biggest things is there's so many other options for kids nowadays. I feel like when I was a kid, you went out in the yard and you played, and if you were a sports fan, you watched, you watched sports, you watched the same sports center over and over and over again. And you watched games, you watched the matching games, you watched Saturdays and Sundays and Monday nights. And now with technology for good or bad, there's so many different options for kids for things for them to get involved in that I think that instead of being like you're either in music or sports, you can be in music or sports, or you can be in the millions of off branches of theater or um, electronic gaming and things like that. So there's so many different things for kids to get involved in, which is great. But I think that that's one of the biggest things as far as you have a really athletic kid, which is great, but he may also be really good at video gaming. Um, he could be the next TikTok star. I don't know, but you're kind of, you're kind of fighting to kind of get him reeled in a little bit, if that makes sense. Sure. I read a, a statistic the other day that said more Gen Zers. Yes, I know I'm hating on the Gen Z kids. <laughs> Wanted to be TikTokers than be astronauts. Um, and it, it being so I'm a, I'm out here in the Northeast and like it's spring season and lacrosse is like the secular religion of this area. I mean, you could not find an open patch of grass or turf in the entire tri-state area from DC to Boston. It's all lacrosse. And the, not yeah. that like I hate lacrosse, but you know, it just, there, there's so many options and it's interesting because the counties that have lacrosse teams, um, typically have really poor baseball teams in Connecticut, yeah. but where there's no lacrosse leagues, baseball is really great. Cause all the athletes go play baseball instead of lacrosse. Um, and have you found, I guess, 
how have you seen you've coached for for quite a, a while a couple of years yeah. how have you kind of seen kids behavior change over the course of your coaching career i think now and this is not a knock um i'm not a gen zer by any chance by any means um but i do have younger siblings who i guess would qualify i think so much now with the younger athlete there is and it's not their fault but there's more of the emphasis on them rather than the team like i can i can definitely remember as a kid growing up and people being excited about like oh this school's graduating class of whatever watch out. They're going to have, they've got a really good offensive line. They've got a couple of skill players or, oh my gosh, they've got a pitcher. They got a really good outfield. Like you were looking more as a collective group. And now because of a lot of the social media, it seems like kids have a little bit more of the focus on them. And there are plenty that use their platform for, to kind of push themselves in positive ways. But I think that's kind of the big thing is that you go to camps and I'm not seeing the, the whole camp, I'm seeing one kid, I'm seeing somebody's recorded them on Snap or on Insta or just on a phone. And it's a lot more of like them focused, which I think is great if you're into tennis, golf, swim, track in some regards. But to me, football is always going to be the ultimate team sport. So it's kind of tough to counterbalance that sometimes. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And, and to you, why, why is football the ultimate team sport in, in your opinion? Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to steal this. I heard Aaron Rodgers drop it on the Pat McAfee show the other day. And <laughs> uh, shout out to Pat McAfee. He's a punter. But, uh, you know, it's there's with every other sport, even the team sports, you can have a dominant pitcher and he can really kind of get you in and out. You can play basketball, which is a team sport. But if you've got somebody who can really fill it up and shoot, um, same with soccer, if you've got someone who can really shoot, they can kind of take a game over. And while you do have those dominant players, your Aaron Rodgers, your Patrick Mahomes, your Derrick Henrys of football, their their ability is is nothing without the other ten players. And you might say, yeah, but he he's able to run some people over. Well, he didn't run eleven over on one play. And even if the line does a great job, receiver has to still get open, or vice versa. So I think it's it's so much more reliance on everybody doing their job as opposed to we all kind of have to sort of do our job. We just have to get our stud the ball. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like football is is pretty uh, immune to like the the NBA fad of like the mega star, and you can kind of yeah. see anytime like front offices are just being held hostage because the the personality is bigger than the team in some sense. So if you don't like your GM, if you don't like your coach, you throw a hissy, and you either get a new coach or you you know bust out of your contract and find another team that's going to pay you a ton of money. For sure, um, for sure. And it seems like you know unlike tennis like nobody's gonna get trucked in tennis because like you missed a ball right but like if, if you don't do your job if you're the running back trying you're trying to block the blitzer if you don't do your job like your quarterback's actually gonna get hurt like physically so there's actually like real stakes for not following through sure 100 percent. and i think i'm a chiefs fan you know patrick mahomes i would i'm selfishly biased you know he's he's arguably one of the best players in the league but uh, not a very great job up front, dealt with a lot of injuries in the Super Bowl. And the arguably the best player in the NFL was held to a very average game, you know? So yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and so what would be, and we're, we're talking more culture stuff, I guess. So when you first became a coach now, are you the, just for clarification, are you the head coach of your team or are you the OC? I'm the offensive coordinator. Offensive yes. coordinator. Gotcha. So what, when you first became offensive coordinator, um, 
do you recall maybe some mistakes or fumbles you had along the way when you're trying to establish who you were and what your, your team culture was? Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like I still make some every day. Um, I think that one of the things that I kind of was told early on is, Hey, when you become a coordinator, you kind of have to have, you have to have a plan, but you got to have kind of that, that, what are you going to be known for? Right. Are you going to be a guy who, you know, we're a man defense, we blitz a lot or, Oh, we're going to be pure airway. We're going to throw it all over. So I remember being so just focused on, okay, we're going to, we're going to file it down. I'm going to study up cool. We're going to be a gap team. Here we go. We're going to run power. We're going to hit people in the mouth. And then I remember seeing my offensive line and I'm like, okay, that was fun, but like, what can we do now? So I think the biggest thing is I I was so like focused on being like, we're going to, I'm going to fit this round peg into this square hole. I'm just going to hit it. I'm going to hit it harder. And it's like, I mean, you can keep trying. It's just not going to. So I think you've got to have a kind of set standard, but to me, it's more of a set standard in the way you're teaching, not just what you're teaching. And then kind of in the operations of like how you're actually doing something as opposed to just the singular schematics part, if, if that kind of answers your question. Yeah, sure. Can you break down how you teach your players what you'd like them to do? So it sounds very rudimentary, but I think that there's a myth that good coaching is a lot of talking and foaming at the mouth uh, when in actuality, good coaching is more how what you show and explain rather than what you just say um so can you kind of describe your philosophy of teaching and educating your players on exactly what you want them to do from a like a physical standpoint and from a uh, i guess an x's and o's schematic standpoint yeah absolutely um i think the the first thing you've got to do before anything else is you've got to make building relationships with those players individually and then collectively as a group, whether it is, you know, an offense or your position group over anything, you know, the, the days of doing things out of fear are over. Kids are going to do so much more out of love and respect than they will out of fear, right? There's a reason Bud Kilmer gets fired at the end of the movie. So um, I think that's got to be a focus point. And when you do that, it's got to be deeper than just asking kids, What's your favorite color? What's your mom and dad do? You've got to find out what makes them tick educationally. I mean, all coaching is, is just teaching. You're just on a field, not in a classroom. So you've got to find out what best ways your kids learn. For us, we will put everything on Huddle. You know, everybody uses Huddle as a software. But when a kid opens their phone, they're probably going Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitch, oh, I have other apps and then they get to huddle, right? So um, while we do put it on there, it's kind of hard to get kids to break that. So again, you can go, I'm just going to force these kids to do it. Or you can say round peg, square hole, we need to kind of do it a different way. So for us, what we'll actually do is we print off sheets. They almost look like worksheets and we'll give those to the kids. So when we install in meetings, they fill them out similar to a worksheet in class. Um, very big on making kids take their own notes because kind of that, not only an ownership, but whatever works for you. If you're somebody who writes shorthand and you go back and fill it in later, that's cool. Um, if you're a guy who's very diligent, that works too, but it really puts the, it really puts the load on them and kind of says, Hey, if this works for you, that that's great, but we're going to do this. Um, the head coach I work for Cody Spiegel, um, he's a second year head coach and he does a phenomenal job of, 
kind of working through the talk it, chalk it, and walk it. So we'll put it on the board. We'll work through the worksheets with them. Uh, we make sure that we try to hit, whether they're a visual person, we're going to have it on a board. If you're an auditory person, we're going to try to talk slow and make sure that everything makes sense. We really kind of promote the atmosphere of no dumb questions. Um, if I spend 20 minutes talking on it and you're just like, can you start over? Probably not going to go over too well, right? But right. Um, And then if neither of those work for you or those aren't what's best, that's when we also take it out to walk through. So you're really going to have three different ways to learn it. Because I think a lot of times in high school, much like in the classroom, uh, kids sometimes think I just have to memorize this instead of learning it. And that's great for a quick fix, right? That might last for to get you through the day or get you by on the quiz, but that's not going to help you master what we're trying to teach you. So I think you've really got to try to be as fluid and flexible as you can with all the different learning types that there are for kids. I've seen some things on Twitter where guys are doing voiceovers of film. I think that's a great resource. It's something I am actually going to kind of dabble with this summer as we get film, but I think you've really got to try to find what makes it work for kids. And it might be something as simple as like index cards, right? These have been going on since like chalk on actual chalkboards, but we had a kid ask for them. So we'll do it. And if it's going to make him comfortable and enable him to learn it and not just memorize it, I'm all for it. Let's go to work. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I, I teach as well. And I, I'm a big fan of hard copy notes. I yep. mean, I don't think an iPad necessarily makes a kid smarter. No. Um, it's funny because like 10 years ago, the biggest issue in school was cell phones. It was cell phones were like the enemy, right? Yeah. And then we somehow solved the cell phone problem by giving yeah. kids bigger screens called iPads. Yeah, it's just bigger phones. T bigger phones, yeah. And I don't think like the administrator who signed off on the Apple order realized like iCloud like mirrors screens across all Apple products. But that's neither here nor there. But there's some really <laughs> good studies that, you know, for like there's definitely something to be said for hard copy notes. Um, it, it's almost like as you're writing it, it slows your brain down to focus on one thing sure. it, and you know, you can't flip between like 30,000 apps as well. Um, and it seems like you guys take a lot of time to figure out different delivery methods for your plays and your content and, and what, what kids need to understand, which I think is contrarian to how most high schools do it, which is, well, this is how my coach did it 40 years ago. This is how I'm going to do it. Right. Either you're going to learn it or you don't. And then you kind of get like the whole, uh, oh, you know, these kids these days are lazy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, I, you know, coaches' offices can be just as toxic as teacher workrooms. Yep. Um, how do you, obviously there's a lot to do as a, as a coach. And we have a lot of young coaches listening. Um, you know, parents really are, there's really two ways. <laughs> well, more recently, it's like parents and parents are spoken about by teachers, by coaches as like arch villains. Like, like all mom and dad do is wake up in the morning and plot how to make coaches life miserable or how to make a teacher's life miserable. And, uh, you know, it's the Karens or Kens of the world are emailing you, whatever. Um, but like, if you're a parent, like the world's a pretty messed up, scary place. So like, let's be a little bit more empathetic. Um, what I'm curious is how do you go about, or how does your program go about building parent relationships and parent buy-in for the football? Um, it seems like the more successful districts have really strong parent involvement and uh, you kind of leverage their superpower for getting things done to be in your favor rather than against it. I, I think you hit the word 
uh, you hit the nail right on the head is the very first thing you've got to start with is empathy. You know, um, a little bit about us, we're a 3A school, but we've only had football since I think 1996. And um, we've kind of had some down years in the past. So the very first thing is we've got to be empathetic. I mean, most coaches, some coaches or parents, I would like, you'd like to think all of us eventually will be at some point. And if not, your kids really are your kids. So you've got to realize that they're coming at a, when they speak to you, regardless of how they're doing it, they're doing it with what they believe is the best interest for their kid. It's not against you. Um, the one thing, and again, I, I go hats off to coach Spiegel, you've got to be transparent and you've got to be honest. And I think if you're both of those things together, it makes life super easy because you can say, oh, we're honest with our parents, but then you don't show them behind the curtain and doubt's able to creep in their mind. Or they're able to kind of fill scenarios and all that. And that doesn't help you. And then if you kind of go the other way and you say, okay, we're going to show you everything, but we're not going to tell you everything. Well, that kind of does the exact same thing. So being honest doesn't always necessarily mean saying what somebody wants to hear. But it's also, again, if you're able to take that empathetic tone, we're on the same team. We want what is best for your kid, I, I promise. Um, so for us, we've really tried, especially this offseason, everybody, you know, if, if you think COVID didn't suck, you're crazy. I mean, it, it really hurt a lot of programs all over and, and it was tough. But we've tried to do a really good job of making sure that, hey, here's where we are. Let's be honest. We didn't have the year last year record-wise that we wanted. Um, here's why take, you know, take as much, take as much, if not more of the blame than we need to, to show that, Hey, it's on us. We need you to help us, right? It's not you versus us for a battle for your kid. We're on the same side, help us. And we get parent involvement in proper ways. Our booster club has really taken off. Um, we invite everybody to the booster club. It's not like a, Hey, we only want certain people or, Oh, we just, we just want these people because their kids are this type of an athlete or they come from this type of home. No, we want anybody who wants to be there. You're more than welcome. We want you to be involved in this. We do kind of have parameters. Like we have roles within the booster club, but we want involvement. I would love to be like, Holy crap. We had every freaking parent. We had 200 parents here. That sucked. That was really long. It's like, yeah, we had 100% attendance. Like what a great problem to have. Right. Yeah. So you've got to be empathetic. You have to realize that even if it's Karen and she's writing you a long email and it's like, this is, you didn't respond to my first two emails. So here comes a third. She's doing it out of, <laughs> she's coming, she's coming from the right place. Right. So um, empathy, being completely transparent and just being completely honest, owning up to some things. It doesn't have to be a back and forth. Will this, will that, you know what? Yes, ma'am. You're right. We should have, we should have tried that. Love the suggestion. We'll take it to the board or whatever. And I think that kind of solves a lot of your problems. If you can think of it more as they really are teammates with you in this, in this, I guess, fight, if you will, to be successful on and off the field with their kids. Sure. Yeah. And if you can get the, the parents on your side, it, it does make a lot, a lot of things easier. Um, uh, there's a good, well, there's a coach in Rhode Island, Stanley Dunbar. He's at Westerly High School. Um, he has a, a policy of, uh, what was it? No questions about playing time for 24 hours after a game. I think was his rule. Um, I guess, how do you, and that's, that's like for the players and like, you know, the expectation, his program is like players there, there's no triangulation players go to coaches. Um, but parents are still in a tough spot. It's not quite college where like you're totally on your own right. in high school. Parents are, it's a balancing act because they want you to make your own decisions. They want you to live your own life, but they also know, 
even though you look like a 25 year old, you're still 15 and you don't know anything about nothing. So, uh, I guess what is, what's your philosophy of parents getting involved in a player issue, whether it's a grade issue, academic eligibility issue, a playing time issue. Um, and when I speak to most parents, they hate doing I've met very few parents that are like, yes, I can't wait to like go stick it to the coach. Most parents agonize over it because like they don't want to upstage their own kid, but they don't want to see their kid get shafted for lack of a better term. Um, What's been your program's approach to that? Luckily for me being a coordinator and assistant coach, any parent problem I get to use, both fingers and point and say that is coach Spiegel's problem. Here's his number. Please go, <laughs> please go talk to him. I get to pass the buck on that one. There but um, I will say, you know, I've always kind of, I've always been a quarterback guy. And in today's modern football, you see a lot of quarterbacks who are getting specialized training. So um, you get parents who not in a negative way, but they're very involved in wanting to see their kids succeed. Um, the biggest thing I think there in you, you said it perfectly is, they are just as stressed about it as we are, right? There's probably one parent out of a million who's like, yes, finally, I get to ruin somebody's day, but that's not likely. You know, they want to solve the problem just like we want to solve the problem. Um, And the other thing I think that kind of gets lost in translation with high school kids, very rarely are the parents hearing the same thing that happened at practice or whatever. There's a lot of times where it's like, why'd my kid run? It's like, well, did you did you, did your kid tell you he was an hour late? He did not. And all of a sudden the kid's like, well, I thought I did. And it's like, ah, there's, there's the disconnect. Right. So I think the big thing there is making sure that before, and I'm not a head coach, so I'm speaking with the idea of one day, hopefully being one, instead of it being like, okay, we're going to have our first discussion with the, with our student present, we're going to talk together because I would love to hear what you've heard and what I've heard. Because I think that once we can figure it out, either we can figure out what really happened or we can kind of find the disconnect where it's like, hey, little Johnny said he was at practice every day last week. I'm sorry, ma'am. He was only at practice three days. We told me every day. Well, I can show you on paper that, you know, he was only here for three days. And it's like, oh, so where was he the last two? It's like, that's a that's a great question. Now that we're on the same side, I think we could definitely ask him and hopefully get an answer. So just something like that, instead of automatically being super defensive, oh, I have to deal with this parent. And then you know how that is. That's the vibe. That's the body language. That's the mindset. And parents are like, well, you know, excuse me for bothering you. And, and it just turns into such a negative. It doesn't always have to be a negative experience by any means. So I think just making sure that's like, hey, I'm not saying what I'm saying is law. Here's what's happened on our end. What's happening on your end? Let's, you know, we have my side, your side and the truth. So let's kind of figure out where this kind of lines up at. So sure. Yeah. And I think that's true for kids too. Like, it's very easy to get sucked into the the negative like teacher workroom vortex or the coach's office vortex of like ah and and like you know coaches and teachers just start one downing each other oh you think that's bad blah 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 blah. um you know but like like kids like kids that like i don't know i don't think anybody would go back to high school like i would never go back to high school as a student like i loved high school football i would never go back to being that age college i would do but probably not high school again like it's hard being a kid and i can't imagine like with all the stuff kids have now like I'd, I probably would have done like 10 times the, the dumb things that I already did. But um, I really like that you, you, your program, you in particular have a focus on empathy. Um, I think that's really what football like teaches at the end of the day. Um, and 
I was curious, um, you have on your, on your Twitter profile, you have this like really long, well thought out story, um, for the listeners who haven't seen you, um, could you talk about that story, what it is and, and how it kind of relates to your philosophy of football? Yeah. Um, my second year I was at West Plains high school. It's a small school here in Missouri. Um, I was 23, I think, um, was coaching football and I was a one-on-one para. So I was just with one special needs student all day, every day. Um, basically it was like reliving my freshman year over again. So just like, except, you know, with a whole new set of challenges and uh, things like that. So, uh, I met Jake when he was a freshman and I vividly remember asking him like, Hey, Jake, do you like sports? Do you like football? And he's like, Nope. And I'm like, well, this is going to be fun. Like we have nothing in common. Yeah. Cool. This is, I don't even know. What to say. <laughs> My life sucks. Oh okay. yeah. Awesome. It's Monday. <laughs> cool. Um, so, um, I got really lucky. Um, we spent all of our time together and the way the school was set up where I got to go to not practice, but I got to kind of go to the field. That's where near the buses were at. So I got to interact with my players and I told them early on, Hey, if you see me guy with me, his name's Jake. He's awesome. Give, give him a high five, give him nucks, talk to him, ignore me. That's totally fine. But I want this kid's life. He doesn't know that you're a big, strong, tall football player. He just sees you as a person that knows his name. So he's jacked. He's a, he's stoked out of his mind. And what started as like a, you know, Hey coach. Oh, Hey Jake, how are you too, man? It turned into exactly what I wanted it to like, Jake, man, how are you? Did you have a good weekend? Oh, hey, Coach Harrell, how are you? Like, I totally got forgotten about, and it was awesome. And in return, Jake fell in love with football. And I don't necessarily think it was the game. It was just kind of like the my coach. He always referred to me as his coach. Like, my coach, he does football. All the guys, they wear their jerseys, and they come talk to me. This is so cool. He couldn't tell you what a quarterback is or a blitz is or anything like that. But he knew that to him, those were, those were his best friends. He had 55 best friends who were tall, short, athletic, non-athletic, black, white, skinny, strong. It didn't matter. He had a bunch of best friends that knew his name. And I wrote that tweet. Uh, I guess it's been five years now. It's, it's almost, it's hard to not get choked up. Jake and I started to play catch. He loved to play catch. And we first started, I'll be completely honest. He was pretty raw. We were all over the place. Coach Harold did a lot of chasing. It wasn't a whole lot of catch. It was more like a throw and chase situation. But we got to where we would play catch, and he would get into it. He'd run around and laugh. We did it on the field, on the turf, and he got so excited. And I'll never forget because at the end of the year, uh, I wasn't coming back. I had taken a new position. Everybody knew. I had told his parents. And I think on some level, Jake did know. But I remember the last day of school, everybody's in like that you like just, oh my gosh, it's the last day. Papers are going to fly. We're going to have a good time. Everybody's going to have fun. And I remember playing catch with Jake waiting for the bus and Jake's just rambling on about something. And like, it totally hit me. Like, this is it. You know, it was a, it was a Friday, I think. And I was moving the next week and it's like, I'm going to see him again, but we're never going to play catch like this. Like I'm not going to be his coach anymore. And I just got to thinking that I played quarterback in high school and college. I've played a lot of games of catch, man. I've played with teammates on the sideline warming up I've played with linemen messing around before practice I played with my dad in the front yard I played with my mom I played with my grandparents I played a lot of games of catch and that game of catch with you know all the respect in the world of my father that game of catch meant more to me than any because I just got to think back about how where we started from nope I don't like sports at all to like drawing me plays and I still have a binder in my office here at home of all the plays he drew me and all the notes where he's like, can you give this to the player? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, are you really going to do it? It's like, yep, Gerard, come here. And I actually have to hand it. And he gets so excited. And 
and it just really showed me that as much as I love this game and I, and we all do, it's not the game that you love getting tackled sucks, right? Practicing the hot sucks. It's the experience that you love and it's the people that you love. Um, Rick Riley used to write for sports illustrated and he's a phenomenal writer. And he used to always write that I don't write about sports. I write about people that are in sports. And in that moment, it just clicked like Jake, Jake doesn't know what a fade is. Jake couldn't tell you what the end zone looks like, but Jake's football is a way different and honestly way more awesome version than the football I know. And I think about him often. I think about him every year as we get towards the end of the year. And I think back to that game of catch. Um, I've stayed in contact with him. He's, he's grown up, he's graduated, he's doing well. Um, but it just meant a lot to me. And I, I hope, I hope Jake's doing well. I know he is, but I, I think about him often. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's an awesome story, man. Yeah. I think, yeah. Wow. And that's like, do you, do you go back to that story to like recharge your, your football batteries if you're feeling low? I definitely do. Um, I also think, you know, we were together all year and, Jake didn't have a whole lot of bad days. Like I, you know, everybody has those days where like, Oh, the dog did this, or I got to go by the store. Just, just adulting, right. Just life. And for Jake, he didn't have a lot of bad days. And when they were, his days were like, Oh my gosh, I don't have my, my blue pen today. How am I going to do math? And you're sitting there like, what are you like? What are you, are you crazy? What are you talking about, man? But then you're like, Holy crap. Like it, it just kind of put it on perspective. So there's a lot of times where you're having one of those days or a string of those days or, whatever. And you think back, you're like, man, what I wouldn't give to go out there and freaking sweat through my shirt and play catch with my boy, Jake for like 30 minutes. How cool would that be? So yeah, I, I think about it often. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a good coach learns more from their players and the players might learn from them sometimes. Yeah, definitely. It, and, and when you, you know, when you tell the story, it's not like, you know, you changed his life and it was, you know, and I think a lot of coaches get into coaching for, like the, you know, the dead poet society, Oh, captain, my captain moment, or to be like Denzel Washington, sure. you know, in uh, remember the Titans or, you know, Morgan Freeman and lean on me or something where like you save the world and you save the team. And like, you know, life's great. I think teaching and coaching like attracts and social work attracts that type of person. Mm -hmm. But um, the reality is like, like you will have a huge impact on your players but it's only going to be like two or three a year that will come back and be like, coach, like that, whatever, that thing you said that you thought was like you innocuous, like changed my life. And, you yeah. know, th three kids are going to hate you. Three kids are going to love you. And everybody else is kind of in the middle. <laughs> For sure. Um, I've also learned like, it's, it's kind of funny because you, like you said, there's always the kids that come back, but it's usually the ones that you don't expect right? Sure. Like you have a couple of kids that you're super tight with, you always remember, but it's always some kid that's like, Hey coach, you remember that Tuesday before we played Waynesville and like you went to get a drink of water and you exploded all over your face. You're like, did that really happen? Like, yeah, I thought about that forever. It's like, okay, cool. Like it's the, it's the kid that you didn't think you made an impact on that are the ones that are like the, I'm going to stand on my desk and no oh, captain, my captain. So absolutely. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're right. There's a coach, his name's Paul Woodside. He, in the kicking world, he's actually he's a kicking coach. He's, I don't think there's many NFL kickers who don't know who he is. Nice guy. Um, I think he's in Virginia, but anyway, he, he says for him, like, you know, words, words are seeds and you, it's not like when you plant a seed, you're just going to like stand over the ground and like yell at it to grow. 
you know, you just, you just don't know. Like nature has its own timing. So I think as teachers and coaches, like we're always creating future memories for kids. Um, and what we might think is like totally innocuous, like might mean like the world to some kid um, sure. for, you know, hopefully for better, but you know, it also goes in the opposite direction too. <laughs> like if you say like an offhand comment and you think you're being funny, like, you don't know if you just like might've messed that kid up for like the rest of the year with football. Um, but yeah, no, that, that man, that's an awesome story. Um, it seems like you've had good mentors. Um, like you've, you've clearly thought about your philosophy of football, uh, more than probably the average coach. And I think that's the mark of a great coach. Um, can you talk about maybe a, a particular mentor that you had in your life? Like you were obviously Jake's coach. Um, but, if you were Jake, who would be your coach? Who was like a mentor who impacted your life to be the football coach that you are? Oh, you gotta, now I gotta play favorites. Um, <laughs> I've been very lucky to, to be around a lot of phenomenal coaches and even the ones that maybe weren't as X's and O's quote unquote savvy. I've gotten to be around a lot of great men, men of, of character, of faith, and, and men that just would teach you all about the game. Um, I've really got two. Um, Matt Perkins, Matt and I first started at West Plains together. He had been a head coach. Um, he had, he had moved to West Plains and was then a position coach. And at the time we were just friends. Like we were just we best friends. We hung out. There was a core group of about four of us that were all young coaches and we just ball all the time. And, and we started out as just, as just good friends. And I moved away and took a different job and Matt stayed there and grinded. He became a coordinator um, Matt's now the head coach and is doing a phenomenal job down there. And what the thing with Matt, I guess, was, is it totally went, it just kind of, it was very gradual. We started out as just as buddies who'd like to talk ball. And now Matt has seen so many different challenges as a head coach, as a coordinator at a bigger school than I have. Um, I get to ask him all kinds of questions. I get to, I get to pick his brain and there's really nothing that's off limits. It can be how to deal with a parent um, there's times where he's like, Hey, you got a few minutes. I got to vent to you. Or I, I do the same to him. Um, and it's really cool because he's like that one friend you don't see, but like once or twice a year at like the holidays and like coaching clinics. And then you pick it up and it's like, we're continuing the conversation from last year. Like it never, it never <laughs> ends. And sure. um, he's, he's been awesome. I, I can't thank him enough. And, and I know he is just, it's, you know, I'm so glad to see him finally have some success on the field. Um, he was a guy that worked really hard at the school that um, he built up and was kind of right on the fringe and now he's at a place where I got a really good feeling he's going to win a state championship this year and I'm going to be sitting in the stands and I'll give him a hug and be like man you went with the pleated khakis huh and he'll just laugh and that's it's that type of friendship so gotcha um, the other one's a guy named Rick Ammons Rick and Rick and I uh, we coached a, at a school together he was the O-line coach I was a quarterback's coach he's the same age as my dad and uh it's weird because we were like tight like we had we like the same type of music and when I first met him, I remember thinking this dude is the hugest, like, you know what, in the freaking world, because he loved to play devil's advocate. And I remember I would suggest like, yeah, if we go smash, he goes, like, how deep's the corner? Yeah, it's gonna be at 10 yards. How about the hitch? We'll just go six. Is it a wide hitch? Is it an inside hitch? It's like, holy crap, old man, like, just shut up. Like, I'm, I'm trying to talk here. And he kind of taught me to think outside the box. And I remember it took me so long to get over that. And one day we went and played golf and it turned into we golfed um, usually about once every two weeks, 10 days and talked ball, talked politics, talked life. And it was weird because I, I was the age of his kids. And yet we just 
he taught me really to think outside the box and question things and, and do it in the appropriate way. But like, don't, uh, don't think you've always got the answers because there's always some old guy out there who's going to be more than willing to take his day out on you. So <laughs> and they got a lot of time to kill too. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. He doesn't know how to text, but he knows how to call you and just, just make your life miserable. That's, that's so. the problem with those boomers, man. They'll call you. They won't just text you. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you what, man, um, last, last question here for the night. Um, knowing what you know now about coaching and mentoring and developing kids, what would be one piece of advice you would have wished you had given yourself when you first started? I think the biggest thing looking back is we all love the game and we all love to study and we love that. I wish I would have told myself to ask more questions. And I, and it's not that I didn't ask questions as a young coach, but ask like dumb questions. And it sounds kind of silly, but you can sit there and read about the 8 million variations of cover four or how to run uh, four verts out of 15 million different formations. But don't be afraid every once in a while to take a deep breath and just ask like, hey, um, out of this set, who's got the A gap? Like, just ask. And it might seem like, well, that's that's dumb. I should know it. Well, if, you, if, you're, if you're curious, then you don't know it. So you can either ask or you can guess. One's right, one's wrong. So I wish I could go back and tell myself like, hey, ask ask more of those dumb questions. Like when you hear something you don't know, you're more than welcome to just continue to listen. But when they say the corner's playing divider rules, hey, dumb question, what do you guys define as divider rules? And write it down. Um, or, hey, I'm sorry, when we go there and you're talking two for one, what does that mean? What happens if this happens? Don't do it in that, like, try to prove someone wrong way, but just don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, take notes and, and just, it sounds silly, but it's always going to be more than just X's and O's. It's, it's, it truly is always going to be Jimmy's and Joe's. So learning about players, what makes them able to do this, able to do that, learn more about the weight room and things like that. But I know it's kind of a long, long ended winded answer there. So. No, it's all good. I mean, I think that that's like, you know, especially when you're first learning, there's just no substitute for asking why. Like I think a lot of really good coaches, good coaches are good learners. Um, you can't learn if you don't ask any questions. Absolutely. So, um, awesome. Well, we'll cut that right there. And here's the out. Thanks for listening to the Coach Cahill Show. If you found today's show inspiring or helpful, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. Reviews and ratings are what help us continually attract interesting and engaging guests like the one you heard today. Remember, referrals are the best compliment. <laughs>